Scripture readings today are, uh, the first is from Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and declare against it the proclamation that I am commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. Jonah started into the city, walking one day, and he cried out, Just forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes, from the greatest of them to the least significant. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God stopped planning to destroy them, and he didn't do it. Then in Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. As Jesus passed alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away they left their nets and followed him. After going a little farther, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, in their boat repairing the fishing nets. At that very moment, he called them. They followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jill, for sharing that good news with us today. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Last week I mentioned that I'm beginning um, to think of this time, this epiphany time for us in the frame of recognizing that for everyone there is a place at the table. And yes, for some of us, the radical part of that concept has to do with something superficial. Realizing that just because of the language that someone speaks, or the way their body is formed, or the color of their skin is different, it doesn't mean that they are not intended to have a place at the table. But in our everyday lives, there's a whole other level of this. Even with people who are superficially so like us, we find that there is profound diversity and difference in the way that we understand the world we're living in, in the way we speak and listen, in the way that we behave in times of strength and in times of stress. And it's so easy sometimes to, live though, to love those who are far away and to have disdain for our neighbors. 
So I've been thinking about what I know about behavioral styles and communication styles and how we can see Christ at work in the body, even where there are differences here. And while I talked about last week the differences between the way that Jesus was portrayed in the reading from John, Jesus' style, which was willing to take time and let things emerge, Jesus' desire to include and welcome, to not judge, Jesus' ability to perceive what was going on in the hearts of others. And Nathaniel's difference, Nathaniel's ability to see what's missing or what's wrong in a situation, Nathaniel's wariness and skepticism, Nathaniel's detail-orientedness, how in their difference they were able to meet and claim each other for important purpose. I didn't really talk about what framework I'm using to recognize those things. So this week, I want you to have a little bit more information. You can doodle this in the bulletin if you like. Try to explain it as clearly as possible. I want you to imagine that over years of talking to people and doing research and collecting data about how different humans hear the same message or read the same words about what they say their expectations are when they meet with other people, what makes them stressed, what makes them say, whoa, and what makes them say, let's go. A way of understanding some of the differences between us emerged. If it was going to be a chart, the up and down part of the chart would be how fast is the right amount of fast. If you are always running at the front of the pack, if you are always eager for the next thing, if you are sparked and joyful with change and difference, if you love boldness, if you're always hungry for something fresh and new, then you might be at the top of that line. Super fast, right? If you're one who loves the mountains, the things that have taken ages to form and will be here from age to age, changing only slightly with the working of the elements, things that have endured the stability and continuity of tradition, the witness of the many generations. If that's how you like to be, if you like to move at a pace that is like those things, you might be in the bottom part of that line, right? Slow. Don't change too fast. Right? So the up and down line might be how fast is the right amount of fast or slow for you? But then, that's not the only thing. The other thing is, what do you notice? What sparks your interest? What sets you back on your heels? If what draws you in is the presence of other people, 
If you're willing to do just about any kind of thing with your time, as long as your favorite people are there, for example, you might be more people-oriented. That's one side of that line. If you have friends, you love your family, you love humanity in general, perhaps, but what really sets your mind to doing something or not doing something, to participating for fun, is whether it's going to be done well. Whether it's clear, excellent, concrete, concise. If you love classical music, its precision, its virtuosity, ah, you might be more project-oriented, and that's the other side. When you have a symbol like this, do you notice how it makes like a cross, right? And any of us can be in any part of it. That makes a circle. And it makes a circle that is big enough for everybody to have a seat at the table. The reason that these trends are important trends, or these ways of perceiving people have become important in understanding different communication and behavioral types, is because the data shows that there's about the same number of people in the United States in any part of that circle. That there's a meaningful part a meaningful membership of the body of Christ in the world in all of these different gradations and variations and types. And if we believe the good news that we're all meant to work together as different parts of a body with different functions, then it's worth taking time to observe how the parts which are strange to you or hardest to relate to are worthy and purposeful and treasured loved by God. You may be wondering, why am I giving you so much information about this really conceptual thing? It's because today we heard a story about Jonah. Does anybody know anything about Jonah in here? I know some of you have done Bible study. What do you know about Jonah, Sylvia? That's right. Jonah does not get along well with others, including God. Jonah has one vision for what he wants to do and where he wants to go, and God has a different vision, and they fight about it. Famously, they fight about it. In fact, when you read the story closer, it's shocking how bold Jonah is in rejecting the call of God. Not only does he not go in the direction that he's going, but he also has, that God is calling him to go, he also has this tremendous confidence. He says, I don't want to go to the people of Nineveh and give them the message you told me to give them, because if I go and I give them that message, they will hear it, and they will obey it, and you will forgive them. How dare we consider Jonah a prophet of God? How dare we? 
here is this person who's ready to let the entire population of Nineveh just be destroyed, laid flat by judgment. How dare we call this person a prophet of God? Even in a chapter uh, following the main action, which I love so much for its crankiness. Jonah goes and he delivers the message to the people of Nineveh, as you heard Jill, Jill read it today. And the people of Nineveh do hear the message. And they do change their hearts and lives. And God does practice mercy with them and accept their action. And then Jonah says, see, I knew this would happen. And he goes out of the city to sulk. <laughs> Even bearing witness to the mercy and grace of God, Jonah is not happy. Thinking about Jonah and the way that Jesus shows similar boldness and confidence in this version, in Mark's version of the calling of the disciples, you come, follow me. Thinking about those things, I was thinking about a time earlier in my education when I was a college student. And in taking a religion course, I read some womanist theology. According to my, yeah, Frank is laughing. Yeah. If you have read womanist theology, you'll know why I'm bringing it up. According to my memory, I was reading an article about the Reverend Dr. Renita Weems, a womanist theologian who advised in this article which was being read mostly by Iowa farm kids raised in non-denominational and evangelical churches. She was advising us to tear out the pages of the Bible that do not express the God of our faith. Yeah. Think about that for a second. We had had an assignment, so we had an, we had an obligatory literature of the Old and New Testament class, and one of our big tests was that we had to memorize the books of Bible in order. There's a song, I'll sing it for you after church if you want. But <laughs> we had to know all of the books of the Bible in order. That was one of our assignments. And in the same religion department, here we had a course that was having us read the work of one who would say, that book is a book, that book within the Bible is a book of oppression. Tear it out. Can we call her a prophet of God? Can someone so bold and so strong in their opinion, advert, uh, advising such kind of violent relationship with our tradition, can this be a prophetic voice for God? Is it not just offensive? How can it be? One of the things I think we have to grapple with is an understanding that without Jonah, 
Nineveh would have perished. This is a theme that repeats itself without vision, without the word of God. People perish. It's a condition of our mortality that we can't hold on to everything forever, right? We're constantly moving. We're so busy. We need people to call for our attention and to state with clarity, this is the way. And in this kind of observation of behavioral and communication styles that I was describing to you, there was a recognition that it is those people who care less about people's feelings than they care about the task. And those people whose pace is fast, whose eagerness is keen, who have the capacity to look to the horizon and call people to vision. I'm going to make a confession to you. I'm not in this quadrant of people. In order to benefit from the saving power of prophets like Renita Weems, like Jonah, like Jesus Christ going about and calling people to change their hearts and lives. I have to respect what I don't understand. I have to make space to appreciate that what offends me, what pushes my buttons, which scares me a little bit by moving faster than I am ready to move, what confronts me and terrifies me, what feels violent to me in terms of ideal idea might be Simon says change your hearts and lives Simon says change your hearts and lives or as the prayer says now not later now 